<clears throat> What's happening? Um, yeah, give me a minute or so. I got to call in. Um, Jupiter in motion. I swear to God, if you're not a female, like XX chromosome, I'm going to be upset. Old school rider, what's happening? D Felder, Shafiq, Hurricane, Ike, Jody, Big B, Bernard, Stefan, Enoble, Stephen, Jean Pierre, Mr. Artisanvik, originally me, Soul Alchemy, hey stranger. Um, <laughs> Sun Eyed Eagle. <laughs> Have you been to Witchburner House and say that's crazy? You got time today, Ike? That's what's up. Hey, Banks, Flossy, hey, hey, Ru, hey, what's happening? So yeah, just give me another minute or so, and we'll get started. So. Arthur, what's happening? All right, let me stop playing. Let me get this show started. Yes, sir. How's it going? Yeah, I can hear you. Yes, sir. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> right, right, right.
All right. Once again, welcome back to the Morning Star Show featuring Super Sly 75. It is I. I am he. Uh, once again, I want to give a shout out to Ra on the Boards, our producer Cindy Ashby. Um, you can always visit us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We're on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. In case you missed, the, uh, if you want to catch the replays, uh, the call-in number is always 646-547-1305. You can find me on YouTube under Superslot 75 or Heavily Flawed Individual. Merchandise is always available at teespring.com forward slash Superslot 75. Uh, also, please feel free to donate any amounts which will go to airtime and the website. It is a labor of love. But we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help keep us uh, help us to keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Also, if you would like an advertisement slot, please hit us up at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Okay, now, the main title here tonight is The Black Witches of Salem. Ooh, spooky. I know. But... Before I touch on that, uh, given the, the current state of all these productions we've been witnessing, uh, and then recently the, the whole shebang in Philadelphia, I thought I want to touch on this, this whole urban destabilization uh, agenda that's been propagated for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And there's a movie that came out in 1983 that I think pretty much sums it up. And gives us a glimpse of how they want to do this. And it gives us a, a, a current vision of our current police state that we currently live in. And this movie is called Blue Thunder. All my old heads know what I'm talking about. Yes, the helicopter movie, Blue Thunder. Uh, you think Blue Thunder, you think Apache helicopters. All right, this thing predates the, the Apache. Well, I don't say it predates the Apache. It's more like a, the civil, the civilian version of the Apache, right? Okay, so um, now I know you guys have all seen the footage of the Philly cop, the two cops, somehow with the fake blood and all this and snag, which is, you know, makes for good TV. Uh, but we all know this is all pretty much a production at this point. So now let me let me break down the movie and how this that movie applies to the current militarized police state that we live in now, if you don't mind, before I get into the, to, to, the, uh, to the main topic. Okay, now, Blue Thunder. I'm, in the behind the scenes, just the behind the scenes alone, well, before I get to behind the scenes, the trailer for the movie, it starts off, it says, this is the trailer. Mind you, I'm, you're going to keep hearing 1983 a lot because this movie came out in 1983. A lot of you guys... You youngins weren't even thought of. Okay. It says you are being watched and you don't even know it. Every day without your knowledge, you are giving personal information to total strangers. All of this confidential information is stored in a worldwide network of computers. This is a trailer for a movie telling you this. Okay. So then more behind the scenes footage. We have the director, John Badham, the director. He says flat. He says flat out. He says, "You and I are somewhere plugged into a computer, 
a lot more of our life, whether we like it or not, is just there for somebody to just punch it up on record. Okay. This is the director telling you this. And then we get to the star, Roy Schneider. Rest in peace, Roy Schneider. If you know who Roy Schneider is, uh, go see Jaws 1 and 2. That's Roy Schneider. He says uh, it's very easy for people to accept that this type of equipment as a part of everyday life. But what it would what what it would do to your privacy, I think, is still very frightening. And then, you know, if you've seen the movie, the opening caption of the movie, it says, you know, with the black screen with the green letters, it says the hardware weaponry and surveillance systems depicted in this film are real and in use in the United States today. This is 1980 motherfucking three. All right, so let's get into the breakdown of one of my favorite childhood movies. Also, this movie had a, a TV series that was on ABC with Bubba Smith. It was whack. It was whack. <laughs> okay, all right. So, Blue Thunder. All right, so Ray Schneider is the star. Uh, he plays a pilot, a Vietnam pilot named Murphy. His co-star is Daniel Stern. He plays his, as a, his observer named Lyman Good. And a myriad of other uh, semi-seminal stars you've seen in those old 80 flicks, if you're old enough to remember. Okay. Now, the opening scene, you have Murphy uh, doing he's – a, he's a helicopter pilot for the LAPD. And one thing I didn't – I never noticed until I literally – I watched this thing last night for notes. There's a scene where they describe a suspect – as a male Negro. I, I, I said, what? I had to rewind that shit. <laughs> In the movie, <laughs> you know, the call comes through the, through the, uh, through the CB, whatever. And it says, yeah, we have a suspect described as a male Negro. 1983, y'all. 1980 motherfucking three. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay, so they're moving for they 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 of course they you know he flashes the spotlight on them, you know he dusts them, you know when it, when the helicopter dusts you, they land kind of low and let the rotors you know with the the air force the air from the rotors kind of hit you and you can't really do shit because you got so much dust and air pressure, whatever military guys on them talking about. All right, so moving on, uh, there's you know going through the city, and then there's they spot this one particular car in Beverly Hills. That looks out of place. Okay. And he radio he radios into the to the dispatchers. Hey, there's a car with no plates in Beverly Hill. Oh, and I'm sorry, in Brentwood. 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 Okay. This particular scene takes place in Brentwood. If you know about Brentwood, OJ. Okay. He he lets dispatch know, hey man, there's there's a cop, there's a car with no plates. You know, give you guys a heads up and he goes about his business. So this black woman, she's on her way home to Brentwood, her home in Brentwood. She has a gate. She pulls in. And then these guys get out of these cars and run up to the gate, put the brick in front of the gate so the gate can't close. Right. This is a hit. It's disguised as a robbery. So they break in through the gate. Uh, They try to rape the woman. The, the, The call comes through. Murphy gets the call because he's in a helicopter. He's there first. So a gunfight ensues between 
the cops and the robbers and then the black woman she's a councilwoman she gets caught in the middle she gets she gets shot and killed where she dies later on in the hospital right the councilwoman works an urban task force okay uh the the character's name is mcneely councilwoman mcneely so down the later on she ends up dying from a gunshot wound right you don't know how important this woman is till maybe halfway through the movie so then murphy and his observer they go after the, the scene is already taken care of they go off observing what they like to do is spy on people in their helicopter right so there's one particular lady that likes to do naked yoga at 10 30 p.m so they're in the helicopter they're watching this woman do naked yoga a neighbor sees them hovering in a helicopter and they, they take off. They go back to base. Captain is like, you know, I, people don't like cops. Um, I'm tired of getting reports from you guys hovering around people's homes. I know about the lady that does the naked yoga at 1030 p.m., whatever the case may be. And he, he makes a, a mention to the, the Brentwood case. He said, hey, what did you guys do? You guys know that I, I called the dispatch about a car with no plates in that very area. And the captain's like, ah, you know, we took care of it, whatever the case may be. The woman died as attempted rape, yada, yada, yada. They brush it off. The captain is not, he doesn't know what's going on. He just brushed the shit off. So Murphy's like, nah, something's not right. So he goes back to the scene of the crime. He finds a letter written in Spanish, and it's all ripped up. The only words in English are Thor, like Thor, the Molnir and Hammer, the Norse god, right? So he takes the paper. Later on, he gives it to one of his, his uh, former uh, co-pilots. He's a, he's a Mexican dude. He said, hey, man, this thing's in Spanish. Can you translate what you can for me? I don't understand what it's saying. Okay. He's like, yeah, I got you. I got you. Now, L.A. has been selected by the military to test a, uh, a very special helicopter. Okay. Because at the time, uh, it is illegal to arm police helicopters. So <laughs> this is 1983 and they're bringing this in right before the 84 Olympics. They want to be able to do crowd control from the air. Okay. So now Murphy and Lyman good get invited to a military test site, a test target range out in the desert. And they're talking and the feds, you know, they got the, the feds come in and like, hey, uh, this, I'm such and such. And, we, you know, we chose you, whatever city's been selected. You're going to do the, the city testing for this vehicle. Right. All right. So they're all they're getting they're going up the, up the rafters and they're like, oh, what is this? I thought it was illegal to arm military. Hel I mean, uh, police helicopters is like it depends on what to, what to use for. And so you got all the big wigs, military, state department government they're all in the rafters right and the opening and the scene it's probably one of the most iconic scenes all my old heads understand there's the sun and in comes this black helicopter right against the backdrop of the sun and it, it's just i can't describe this shot i can't do the shot justice but just watching this helicopter come in with the backdrop against the sun it's a beautiful shot and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you hear the, the, the rotors and the sound that it's making. And it just does not look like any helicopter you've ever seen. And then it just flies overhead. And everyone's like, what the fuck? 
And uh, this thing is, it looks like an early, like a civilian form of the of, of the Apache helicopter. It's got the 20 millimeter cannon in the front. This thing has infrared. It's got audio mics. It's got a hundred to one zoom. It's got a 30 million, a 30 million candle power spotlights, two of them, infrared sensors, heat sensors. This thing is, is completely like this is a, a mobile air surveillance with a big ass cannon in the front. Okay, <laughs> the target systems like the Apache, the gun moves with the hel- the helmet, right? The the, the 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 pilot moves his head. The, the the cannon follows the targeting system, right? It's 1983, 19. And all this shit they had ni- 1983. Okay, so the nem- the bad guy, Roddy McDowell, Clockwork Orange, brilliant, brilliant actor, phenomenal actor. He plays Colonel Colonel Cochran. He's doing a test run for uh for for uh for Blue Thunder. That's the nickname they gave it, Blue Thunder. So they set up all these dummies and and this this riot scenario and this thing's just firing off the cannon and it's just blowing shit up and it, you just hit it and it's just whirling and and just making his runs and you're just like that's wow and of course Murphy's like because he's having flashbacks from Vietnam because he was a former Vietnam pilot. And he remembers how he, they used to run a gunship, the Huey gunships through the little towns and, and do all types of uh, wreak havoc and shit. So he's having flashbacks, whatever. He's just stunned. So then during halfway during the test, the uh, the trigger, there's a malfunction and, and Blue Thunder's trigger gets stuck and it blows up a bunch of white uh, cardboard figures. So you had red for for the bad guys. You had white for the good guys. And their kill rate was an acceptable kill rate was every civilian killed you killed 10 terrorists that was their ratio from good to bad they wrote one in ten they were okay with that so like i said it, it malfunctions during the test during the test fire in the second run the, okay so the ship lands cochran gets out he's like you know i'm pissed they ballistics they jammed again and they need to fix that whatever the case may be so then up comes here comes murphy Murphy's like, oh, look who we have here. Now, they, 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 they used to fly in Vietnam together, right? There's there's beef between Cochran and Murphy, all right? So they, you know, they had a little back and forth, whatever the case may be. And so now the next day, uh, Murphy and Lyman Good are going to take one of their Ranger LAPD helicopters and, and do some exercises, some drills while Cochran is in Blue Thunder. But... Before Murphy and Lyman Good show up, Cochran tampers with Murphy's helicopter. He takes out the linchpin, and you take out the linchpin, there's a connecting rod. And once the connecting rod comes out, turbine failure. So you can imagine if you're a pilot, a helicopter pilot, and you have turbine failure in the fucking sky, you will just literally drop like a bird. All right. So after he takes out the linchpin, it comes Murphy and Lyman Good. And they're like, yeah, okay, you know, let's, let's go up and let's do some drills. You know, hopefully you can catch up, okay? Because there's no way he, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a $5 million helicopter with all types of shit. There's no way a regular helicopter, could, whatever. So they're doing their runs. He purposely makes Murphy do a high bank climb, high, high bank turn incline, which puts pressure on the linchpin that he took out. So during their climb, their, their, their banking climb, the linchpin comes out. The connecting rod comes out turbine failure so they go down they land on a construction site in watts <laughs> and then Ka- and then Co- colonel cochran's like oh it looks like murphy and lyman good went down 
somewhere in Watts. He has this British accent, and he's just so notch. He's just like, I don't give a fuck. You can tell he, you know, he doesn't give a shit. All right. So now, <laughs> after that debacle, now it's it's Murphy and Lyman Goods run at the the, the test. Uh, Blue Thunder. They're gonna do a night, a night mission, a night test. Okay. And so they get the rundown on how to how to run. It's got cameras, everything. Whisper mode it has whisper mode. Whisper mode is you activate whisper mode and it quiets the rotors and you can't hear shit. You can't hear this thing outside your house. Okay. So they're out there testing it, playing with it at night, doing a little night runs and shit. And they're about to come back to base. Okay. And of course, they do their their infamous uh Sneaking on people, they test all the mics, they test all the, the, the infrared, they test the thermograph, they test the heat vision, all this shit on regular people. Because they're just testing the shit. And they're recording shit, and they're just playing with it, whatever. So they're on their way back. Murphy, I mean, uh, uh, Cochran and the feds are like, well, okay, well, he's on his way back. We're about to head off to our meeting, right? So on the way back, Lyman goes, hey, is that is that?" Cochran, does he drive a, a silver Corvette? He's like, yeah. Well, it looks like he's in is, he's in a hurry. And Murphy's like, well, let's go see what he's wh- where he's going. So right before he lands the helicopter, he hits the turbine and just takes off again. He's like, yeah, I, I gotta, I'll be back. And the feds are like, what the fuck? Okay. So they fo- he follows Cochran. Cochran's go goes to the Fed building to meet with the feds, top level feds, uh, Justice Department. Uh, hi, just all the, all your your elite people that make shit happen. So they're in whisper mode. They got the the surveillance mics, audio mics recording. They got the heat vision going. Right, they're in the federal, and they're, they're sitting outside of the built out, out out their out their room, just hovering. And they hear what the plan is. The plan is for them to cause urban upheaval urban uh, uprising, urban destabilizations to bring in militarized weapons like thunder, uh, like, like blue thunder. So at one point, the Mexican homie that he gave the note to, he says, hey, man, some of this I can understand, but there's Project Thor. That's in English. I don't know. I don't know what that is. So while they're hovering and, and listening to, to Colonel uh, Cochran and their, their nefarious plans with the feds, they access Blue Thunder's database, which is connected to the military, the Department of Justice, everybody. They type in Project Thor. Thor, it stands for Tactical Helicopter Offensive Response. Use of military copter to quell disorder. And they're like, what the fuck is this? What is this? This is what this this is this this thing is for. So Cochran and the feds hired the hitmen to kill McNeely, the black congresswoman, because she found out that Project Thor was being used to create uh, urban upheaval in the community so they can militarize the police and bring in weapons like blue thunder does this not sound like present day la right fucking now does this not sound like chicago right now you've noticed your military your, your police have become awfully militarized ar-15s body armor flag jackets you know they don't look like cops they look like soldiers okay 
That's why McNeely was killed. The silencer out. So then Cochran goes to the window. He has a drink in his hand. He pulls the blinds back and his mouth drops because there's fucking Blue Thunder. There's Murphy and Lyman Good hovering. And they're like, uh oh, we got to go. <laughs> they both <laughs> they hit the turbines and they're out. <laughs> <laughs> they hit the turbines and they're out. <laughs> they go, they're like, what are we going to do? <laughs> the scene is hilarious because you just had to see the shit for yourself. All right, so they're on the way back to the base. They're trying to figure out what to do. Lyman Good has an idea about the tape because it records his tapes and only you can only erase the tapes Blue Thunder records in its, you know, in its, uh, uh, in its equipment bank, right? It can only erase its own tapes you had to you you had to put the tape in it to 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 erase okay so he's so murphy and lyman good come up with a plan to hide the tape take the tape out whatever they land they get back to base the uh, uh, captain's in his ass like yo you guys are grounded you will not fly up a, a fucking uh, helicopter for no no time soon that's a goddamn five million dollar helicopter prototype y'all fucking around whatever he gives him reason to riot act so the feds are coming and Murphy can see Lyman Good on the screen going into the in, into Blue Thunder's belly to pull the tape out, and the workers are working on it because they don't they're not paying him no mind. Okay, so then the, the one Fed Fletcher he goes to the belly of, of Blue Thunder. He's like, "Hey, where is the tape? The tape's missing. All oh, that that prick cop Lyman Good took the tape." Dun dun dun. So Murphy is Murphy done already left. They went their own separate ways. Lyman Good, like a dummy, goes back to his house. Why did he do that? Don't know. So the same hitmen that were sent to kill McNeely, Councilwoman McNeely, were in Lyman Good's house waiting for him. So they beat him up. They uh, string his hands up behind his back, you know, and they tape his mouth shut. And they're like, hey, man, where's the tape, man? Where's the tape? We just want the tape. We want the tape. Of course, Lyman Good's not going to give him the tape. He's not going to say anything. So they break his fingers. They break two fingers. Somehow he is, he gets out. He gets out and he's running for his life. Mind you, Lyman Good is running with his hands tied behind his back. The main hitman is in a car chasing him down. And now, trust me, you have to see the scene to, to understand what I'm saying. This dude is hauling ass with his hands tied behind his back. They get to the parking lot of a uh, convenience store. Lyman Good runs into a guy with the, on a bike. Lyman Good's trying to get up. And then here comes the car. And the car just runs him over. The dude just runs him over. And it's like, ah, shit. And, you know, his body's rolling and the hands come apart, you know. So he's, he's dead, dead. So then Murphy finds out there was an accident with Lyman Good. He goes to the scene in incognito and he sees Lyman Good is dead. So then the APB goes out. Uh, you know, the APB uh, Murphy wanted for detaining and questioning in the, in the murder of uh, Officer Lyman Good. So he's a wanted man. So Murphy goes back to the base he hijacks blue thunder <laughs> he hijacks blue thunder 
And so now he, everyone's on his ass now. He's like, what the fuck? He's a wanted man. He's in his, so pandemonium is spreading throughout the city because the word is out. There's a maniac in a killer helicopter. All right. <laughs> so everyone's like on edge. You can't miss this fucking thing. It's this big black helicopter with a big ass cannon in the front. You can't miss this thing. Okay. So he's trying to figure out where did Lyman Good hide the tape. Earlier in, in their night run, Lyman Good pulled out a fuse. Okay. So they can cut off the end mic uh, microphone. Because in the, in, the, in the cabin, the microphone can also record everything that's said in the cabin. And Lyman Good had took out the fuse for that to prevent that. He puts the fuse back in. Lyman Good had already predicted he may not survive this. So he let the recorded message on for Murphy to find where the tape is at. Okay. So then Murphy calls his girlfriend. Now, here's the funny part is all, all you red pill niggas and all that shit. She's a single mom. <laughs> I, I know. I just, I had to throw it in there. So she's a single mom. <laughs> the kid ain't his. <laughs> He's like a play stepdad, <laughs> but whatever. He calls old girl. He said, look, I need you to go to the drive-in. There's a tape in the dumpster. Get it for me. Take it to this to this reporter and this reporter only. Okay. So she gets in her car. She goes to the to the drive-in. Uh, she finds the tape, but the cops are on her ass. Okay. So now he dusts the cops and let, lets her try to get away. So she's on her way to the to the to the reporters to the news station. Okay. APB is out on for her too. So she's going through traffic. The second probably most important scene in this movie is when she gets pulled over by the cops. They got her at gunpoint. And then she's pulled over on the bridge, the bridge. And then all, all of a sudden you just, you just see Blue Thunder just rise up with the cannons pointed at the cops. Second, second most iconic shot in this movie. And, and, and the cops just like, what in the fuck? And you're just, and you just, and you're just looking at it and it's just hovering. Okay, so she gets off. She she starts driving, right? They chase after her. So then he <laughs> targets the cop car and shoots the cop car. Literally splits the cop car in half. Literally split the cop car in half. So she's on her way to the <laughs> to the news station. She finally gets there to the news station. She's like, "Hey, I'm looking for such and such. I I, I have I have something for him." The fed guy is already there waiting for her. He's like, oh, well, I'm his producer. Give it to me and I'll take it to him. She's like, no, no, no. I was told only to give it to this guy specifically. Um, no, no, I know. He's like, no, it's okay. I, you know, trust me. I, like I said, I know everything. I, I already know about the situation. Just give me the tape and I'll give it to him. So then the news reporter that's supposed to get the tape comes downstairs. And she's like, hey, I had something for you. You know, um, Officer Murphy told me to give this to you. And because your producer's right here. He said, my producer? He's not my, he's not my producer. So then the fed guy pulls out his pistol and tries to shoot both of them. And the old man security guy comes, comes over and hits dude in the back of the head and knocks him out. Okay. So they go upstairs to analyze the tape. Meantime, Murphy is riding around the city in this fucking, this, this armor plated, this NATO armor plated helicopter. Right. So then they send in, two F-16 jets to deal with them. The military has, has stepped in because this is their property at this, at this point. I mean, you know, military always exceeds or supersedes, you know, county, uh, local fi- uh, uh, law enforcement. So the military is like, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. They, they, they send in two F-16 jets. Uh, <laughs> so they play this cat and mouse game in the city. 
So one part where Blue Thunder is hovering in front of a, 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 a high-rise building. One of the pilots fi- fires a missile. He misses, hits the building, and they're like, oh, my God, what, what are we doing here? He ends up shooting down one of the F-16s. The other guy bails, and the military is like, you know what? We're out. Call it off. You, know, you can't. We got destruction in the city. We got you know, helicopters and jets fighting in the city. People are at risk. Call the, call the thing off. Colonel uh, Cochran is like, no, I'm going to go get Murphy. So he hops in a, uh, now I forget the name of the, the, the type of helicopter. It's like the little, it's like the little, they call it a little beetle. It's like a little, one of the little fast ones, right? Like the Magnum PI helicopter. And then his shit, he's got, he's got cannons on his shit, whatever. So he goes after Murphy. So they end up playing this cat and mouse game for about 20 minutes. And then, you know, the helicopter chase through the bridge, underneath the, the viaduct. It's pretty good, whatever. Uh, oh, before before Cochran shows up, they send in two LAPD helicopters. One of them was his buddy, the Mexican dude that he that he asked to translate the, the message for him. Of course, they don't stand a fucking chance. So they go down, you know, they whatever. So now it's just Murphy and Cochran. Now... There, the one part of it is the room. There's the, the the legend of Murphy that he was able to do a loop de loop in a helicopter. Now you know it's it's av av aviationally damn near impossible to, to do an actual loop de loop in a helicopter. Now I'm not saying it can't happen. I've heard some military helicopters can, can actually do it, but the fact that he did it in a regular helicopter that kind of added to his myth. Whatever the case may be, this will this will play a part in in in, in the end. Okay, cat and mouse. Murphy's riding around. Here comes Cochran from the side, and he shoots at it. He's shooting at him. He hits him. the 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 armament of of the glass. The glass is like like an inch thick. All right. I mean, especially pixelated glass, whatever. But it's 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 an inch thick. But he hits it with enough shots where it punches through and damages the firing mechanism for his cannon for Blue Thunder. So they play the cat and mouse game. At one point. Murphy has him dead to rights, but because the targeting system is off, he misses. Okay. So they're playing it. They're going back and forth. So the coup de gras is Murphy hits a loop-de-loop in Blue Thunder. Does a loop-de-loop, comes up behind him, and shoots him out the sky. Okay? So that that's done. So then there's a train, a locomotive, and pretty much Murphy is, and Blue Thunder is pretty much toast. No gas or no fuel. Uh, busted me- firing mechanism, so he ends up landing the helicopter on the on the train tracks, right in front of this train. He gets out in time. The train uh, demolishes Blue Thunder. Matter, my, mind you, this was a prototype. Of course, they got other you know the the, the plans, the schematics for it. But uh, the the train demolishes the, the 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 helicopter. Okay, so now as he's walking out away from the wreckage, the news reporter comes on. He says, wait, 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 Okay. The news report comes on and says, oh, we received this footage and this breaking news story. Uh, the mayor reopens the case of the investigation of the murder of Councilwoman, Councilwoman McNeely. Six LAPD and government officials have been detained for questioning various state and department justice uh, off, um, 
workers have been uh, detained for, uh, for questioning as well. And then it ends. So he got off. So he foiled the government's plan to create urban urban chaos to bring in these milit- militarized weapons. But this is 1983. 1983. They've perfected this. And oh shit. The timing could not have been better for me to talk about this movie. Especially with this going on with, with the Philly thing. Now listen, y'all know damn well drug dealers are not shooting at cops in 2019. So the story goes, drug dealers shoot down six Philly cops. <sighs> that doesn't even sound right. That, 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 I don't know what movie that comes from, but this that doesn't even sound right. So I'm not paying any mind to that bullshit. Um, but look at all your major urban cities, urban areas. Uh, the police there mainly have been have become more militarized. Um, 1983. What is this? 30 years ago? This movie's 30 years old. 30, 30 plus years old. So, um, wow. Yes, Blue Thunder, 1983. Go see it, and that way you can kind of see the impact. Oh, we got a caller already. Holy shit. Call was going was Bracken. Yes, sir. This is uh, Edward Bailey calling from uh, Little Rock, uh, Arkansas. Yes, sir. How's it going tonight? And, uh, yeah, it's going pretty good, man. I turned uh, 50 today. C- Happy birthday. Yeah, uh, we used to be talking about that uh, Blue Thunder movie, man. I vaguely remember that movie because uh, it seems like they're talking about some uh, higher, higher dimensional technology. I, well, you know, it's funny that because it was coded in black. Um, you know, black is always code for melanin. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, because I was thinking when we talked about those uh, cops being hit with something, uh, I think that was probably like making some sort of secret field test they get they conducted. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. What else is on your mind tonight? I mean, at this point, they can only. No, you're right. They can only delay the the inevitable at this point, you know. But preventing it and stopping it, it's not going to happen. But they can try to delay it as much as possible. But even that's all in fruition, you know, a a mild fruition. Yeah, yeah. that's the reason why they're doing that test of uh, black holes out there in California because. Some of the people ain't gonna have enough euros to make it on those uh, shuttles to Mars when the uh, solar apocalypse hits. So they are trying to open up some dimensional back doors to Mars. Gotcha. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I I appreciate your call, Mister Bailey. Sure thing, brother. <laughs> 
All right, have a, happy birthday. Have a good one. Peace. Well, that was a nice surprise, an early call. All right. All right. All right. Um, let's do this. Let me take a break. And then we're going to get into the Black Witches of Salem. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. And in, in two and two, I shall return. No, you're good. It, no, that's cool. We'll take him. We'll take him. Right, call it. What's happening? What's bracking? What's, what's going on? Hi. Hey, who this? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, we can we can we can hit the we can head to break. Yeah, we can we can head to break if you if you if you want. Oh, we are break. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that's the second time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, my bad. Nah, I'm I'm going through my all my notifications on my phone. You know, you know how that goes. Yes, sir, please. Yes, please. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I, I I keep hearing more and more of that theory though. I, I've you'd be surprised. I'm hearing a lot of that talk. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. True. True that. True that. True that. You're going actually closer to the sun, right? If, if <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah, that's funny. That is funny. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's not. Right. He sure did. Two weeks ago, he sure did. He sure did. <laughs> On a show date, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did, I, I did, but I mean, there's so much going. I, <laughs> not, not go ahead. <laughs> oh. I watched. I literally, yeah, I, I, I was watching behind the scenes footage, and I shit you not, I would pause it, write what they said, unpause it, write. You know, I took the most I thought were the most important parts away from uh, the movie and the behind the scenes footage. Plus, I, I, you know, I enjoyed the movie as a kid. So now as an adult, I'm like, wow, like, and no one told me this, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Man, if I'm into something, yes, because I want to, I, I want to paint a picture. I want to give people the visual, you know. If I, I Ghostface, you know, I'd be painting his visuals and his raps and shit. I'm like, well, let me paint some visuals in my notes. So I kind of take that approach. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, I tell you what, I remember we used to we do the cliff notes when we wouldn't like it was a Hamlet. We do the cliff notes and it still wouldn't wouldn't pass because cliff notes is like the not even it didn't even touch the surface of whatever book that you were trying to read on read upon. So I remember those cliff note days. It came in a yellow pamphlet and it was like cliff notes for such and such. One of those, you know, like crazy thick ass novels and shit and just gives you the bare minimum. 
you know, so, yeah. It, it, exactly. Like war, like war and peace, you know, movie uh, books like that. It's just like, yeah. So. <laughs> what is that avatar? <laughs> yeah, that's where that, that's where that that yeah, that line came from. Yeah. Right, because in the third act, remember he there they moved their base out to out in the woods and he was she seen him she seen him in his human form. She's like, Oh, I I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. See, yeah, I only cared enough enough to when it came out, it's like, oh, the signs and symbols. Okay, I get it. Now move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Well, because at the end of the day, you still had him as the white savior at the end of the day. Like that's that's what it all it all revolved around was him being a white savior for these indigenous people, him learning their ways. I was just like, ah, okay, I at the end of the day, all the other shit is cool. But you know, at the end of the day, those that seen it, so they still exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right, all right. Welcome back to on um shit. The Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot 75. And uh, I am your host, Super Slot 75 tonight. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Ron the Boards, uh, producer extraordinaire Cindy Ashby. You can visit us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We are on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio for replays if you miss it. Uh, the call-in number is always is 646 646- Five four seven one three zero five. You can always find me under Super Slot seventy five on YouTube or Heavily Flawed Individual. Merchandise is always available at teespring.com forward slash Super Slot seventy five. Also, uh, please feel free to donate uh, any amount which goes to the website and airtime. It's always a labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us to keep the message uncensored and free. You can donate through PayPal at on the wake up radio at gmail.com. Also, if you would like a, an advertisement slot, please hit us up at on the wake up radio at gmail.com. All right. So getting in tonight's the heart of tonight's topic, we're going to talk about the, the black witches of Salem, just witches in general, but uh, the black witches of Salem. Now there's not a lot of information out here on the, on these women. I, I, I've scoured, I've tried, I've found the, Oh, okay. Uh, the Black Witches of Salem is tonight's topic. That it once the uh, you hear me? No, you can't hear me. 
Is it still cutting out? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, tonight's topic is the Black Witches of Salem. Are they? Are we under attack? Are we good? Okay, okay. It was a white supremacy trial, y'all. They tried to take us out. Okay, um, so like I said, I, there's not a whole lot of information on the trio of Black Witches, the Black Witches of, of Salem. Um, the, the, the story goes, uh, the witches of Eastwick is based off these three sisters. That's, con I, I can't confirm or deny that. I've kept hearing it a whole lot that that's what the movie was based off those three women. All right. Um, so let me pull up what I found. So three enslaved women were among the approximately 155 people accused of witchcraft in the infamous Salem witch trials of 1692, two of the enslaved women were identified in the court records as black. The third, the legendary Tituba, was classified as Indian. Now that is under heavy, heavy debate. I'll get into that later on. The race of Tituba has been disputed for 150 years. Since 1692, Tituba's ethnicity has evolved from Indian to half African and half Indian into a fully enslaved African woman. The two women accused of witchcraft who, unlike Tituba, were actually black, were both female servants in Puritan households, Candy and Mary Black. Candy, originally from Barbados, resided in Salem Town with her enslaveress, Margaret Hawks. She was examined on July 4th, 1692, when questioned, Candy revealed to the courts that it was her white enslaveress, Margaret, who had made her a witch and taught her the craft. After being asked if her enslaveress made her into a witch, Candy replied, yes, in this country, Margaret give Candy witch. Candy then went on to detail how Margaret made her into a witch by bringing up the devil's book and had made her mark in it. In her description, Candy stated, she bring book and pen and ink, make candy write in it. Further drawing a comparison between her enslaverist and the devil. When asked if she was a witch, candy replied, candy no witch in her country, candy's mother no witch, candy no witch Barbados. The curious magistrate asked candy to produce the pop, uh, the pop heads that she claimed she used to torment people. Accompanied by a court-appointed deputy, she was escorted home and returned with rags of cloth, a piece of cheese, some grass, and her handkerchief tied with several knots. Deciding to experiment with Candy's tools of trade, the magistrates burned one of the rags, and allegedly, a burn appeared on the hand of one of the afflicted girls. Two more choked, as if drowning when another rag was placed underwater. Two indictments were handed down against Candy and she was jailed. Later, she was found not guilty and released. Mary Black's enslaver was Nathaniel Putnam of Salem Village. Mary was accused of witchcraft on April 21st, 1692. Putnam was a respected leader and member in Salem Village whose younger nephews and cousins were avid witchcraft accusers. 
Her examination was requested by the Reverend Samuel Paris. At her examination held on April 22nd, she was accused by several of the afflicted girls. Though she was pressed to admit that she was a witch, she steadfastly refused, stating, I hurt nobody who doth I do not know. She was indicted and imprisoned, but not tried. She was cleared by proclamation on January 11th, 1693. Her enslaver, Nathaniel Putnam, paid her jail fees and took her back into his house. Now, um, really, that's all you're going to find about these three women as a tandem. But the more popular one is Tituba. Um, apparently, she is a really big deal. Now, I'm not an expert in witches of that era, um, but before I get in, I, I dive back into Tituba, I want to pull up the list of the 10 most notorious witches and warlocks. Now, this is up for debate. I didn't make this list. There's other lists. But this is probably the most popular list. And I'm not here to I'm not here to, to argue who should be on this list or who should be left off. It's not about black and white for me. It's just this is the list. It's the most popular list that's been going by. Okay. Number 10, Maul Dyer. Maul Dyer was a 17th century woman who lived in St. Mary's County, Maryland. Many things about her are shrouded in mystery, but she was known to be a strange woman, an herbal healer, and outcast who survived mostly through the generosity of others. She was eventually accused of witchcraft and burned out of her hut during a freezing cold night. She fled into the woods and was not seen for several days until a local boy found her body. Maul Dyer was frozen to a large rock in a kneeling position with one hand raised to curse the men who had attacked her. Her knees had left permanent impressions on the stone. The villagers quickly found out they had been harassing the wrong woman. Maul Dyer's curse fell upon the area for centuries, causing cold winters and epidemics. Her ghost, often accompanied by various strange spectral animals, has been seen many times and is, is still said to haunt the area. Her eerie reputation eventually served as the inspiration for the movie, The Blair Witch Project. Although Maul Dyer is an influ influential folk figure in American witchcraft, uh, reliable historical evidence of her existence is few and far between. That's Maul Dyer, number 10. Number nine, I'm sure a few of you guys may have heard of this woman here, Lori Cabot. Lori Cabot has been one of the most instrumental forces in popularizing witchcraft in the United States. A California girl with a storied history as a dancer, her keen interest in the magical arts led her to New England. After years of studying the craft, she set up shop in Salem, Massachusetts, a historical epicenter, epicenter of witch hunts. Initially, she was wary of declaring herself as a witch, but when her familiar, a black cat, was stuck up a tree for days, and the fire brigade, brigade refused to rescue it, she was forced to say she needed the cat in her rituals. The year was 1970, and the word witch still carried weight in Salem. The cat was immediately rescued by extremely meek and polite firemen. Uh, Cabot became a national celebrity. She set up a coven and a witchcraft shop, both of which were instant hits. And the shop, which has since moved online, became a tourist destination. Cabot rapidly became one of the most high-profile witches in the world. Even the local government got in on the action. The governor of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis, declared her the official witch of Salem. Thanks to her influence and good work in the community, 
Cabot maintains that any curse by a witch will come back to haunt her and never performs evil magic. According to her, witchcraft, witchcraft is magic, astrology, and environmentalism combined in a scientific manner. She is the author of many books and a major influence on the Wiccan religion, which partially formed around her beliefs and approach to witchcraft. Although she is hailed as the high priestess of Wicca, she says she does, she does not actually practice the religion because she was already doing it long before Gerald Gardner introduced Wicca to the world. <clears throat> All right. Number eight, George Pickingill. Now, I've covered him before. Um, I'm not surprised he's on this list, so let's get into it real quick. Uh, George Pickingill sounds as though he walks straight out of a horror story, a tall, frightening 19th century man with a hostile demeanor and long, sharp fingernails. He was a famous cunning man, a practitioner of folk magic. Old George, as he was commonly known, was a farm worker who claimed to be a hereditary witch. According to him, his magical ancestry could be traced all the way back to the 11th century and the witch Julia Pickingill, who was a sort of magical assistant to a local lord. Pickengill was a vile, unlikable man who often terrorized the other villagers for money and beer. However, he was respected as well as feared. He was said to be a skilled healer and occasionally settled disputes between villagers. In occult circles, Pickengill was a superstar, essentially the Aleister Crowley of his time. He was recognized as an acolyte of an ancient horned god, a frequent ally of Satanists, and the foremost authority on magical arts. As such, his counsel was widely sought by other witches. However, this authority was somewhat spoiled by the fact that Pickengill was a bit of a bigot. He would only endorse a coven if its members could, pro could prove that they were a pure witch lineage and something of a sexist. All the work in his covens was done by women who had also had to submit to him to some fairly unsavory practices. <clears throat> Number seven, Angela de la Bart was a noble woman and a notorious witch who lived in the 13th century. She was burned at the stake for a number of atrocious deeds she committed, according to the Inquisition. Her many crimes included, but were not limited to, nightly sexual relations with an incubus, giving birth to a wolf snake demon that was blamed for the disappearance of children in the area and generally being an unpleasant person. Jeez. Um, <laughs> okay. And now what they say about her, Angela was nothing but an eccentric or perhaps mentally ill woman whose only crime was supporting Gnostic Christianism, a religious sect frowned upon by the Catholic Church. Her uncommon behavior led to accusations of witchcraft, which in turn led to a horrifying death. In those times, such a fate was all too common. Uh, number six. Now, I had this guy's book, Abramelin the Mage. Uh, his book is called The Book of of the sacred magic of Abramelin the mage. I think you should be able to uh, download that PDF. Now, I have his book. Uh, it's 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 an interesting book. I would uh, you know if you are a an occultist, uh, whether you're light or heavyweight, I would say download this book and take a look at it. Okay. The true identity of the 15th century man known as Abramelin the mage has been lost to history. However, his legacy lives on in the form of thousands of followers and imitators. Abraham Mellon was a powerful warlock described by Abraham of Warsburg, a magical scholar who convinced Abraham Mellon to teach him his secrets. 
Abraham producing painstaking manuscripts of Abraham Mellon's magical system, which was a complex process of commanding good and evil spirits to do his bidding. The system was based on magical symbols that could only be activated at certain times and using certain rituals. In 1900, the manuscript was printed as a book called The Book of the Sacred Magic of Abraham Mellon. It was an instant hit in the occult community and acted as a direct influence on many notorious practitioners, including big name players such as Aleister Crowley. Number five, we have Alice Key Keetler. All right. For a long time, Ireland was more relaxed about witchcraft than mainland Europe. However, witch hunts eventually arrived there, too. One of the first and most notorious victims of these changing attitudes was Dom Alice Keetler, a wealthy moneylender whose husbands had a nasty habit of dying and leaving everything to her. When husband number four started to feel sickly and his fingernails began to drop off, his children smelled a rat, especially when they found out he was uh, just about to sign a will that would leave everything to Keetler. In 1324, church officials put Dom Alice on trial for heading a secret society of heretical sorcerers. She was not only the first witch to be accused on Irish soil, but also the first who had been directly accused of relations with an incubus. Authorities attempted to charge and imprison her multiple times. However, Alice had made many allies and always managed to escape. Keetler eventually disappeared, leaving her servant and her son to be charged in her steed. She is said to have fled England, where she lived in luxury for the rest of her days, whether she actually dabbled in the dark arts or not, she's remembered to this day as the first witch of Ireland. Number four, Tamsin Blight. Tamsin Blight was an esteemed healer and a hedge witch. Hedge witches were named for the hedges that surrounded villages, which acted as a symbol for the boundary between this world and others. Blight was said to be especially good at removing spells and curses and also a crafty healer. She could enter a trance-like state and tell the future. However, she had an arsenal of bad juju too, and her reputation was somewhat tarnished by her husband, a fellow magician named James Thomas. Although a respected conjurer, Thomas was a drunken bully and widely disliked for his antics. Tamsin eventually parted ways with him, but they got back together uh, towards the end of her life. Tamsin Blight's curses were effective in practice because of her reputation and the esteem in which she was held. Once she cursed a cobbler, who wouldn't mend her shoes. She hadn't been paying her bills, and soon he'd be out of a job. When word got out, no one did business with the man anymore, and he was eventually forced to leave the area. Number three, Eliphas Levi. Now, I've covered him before. Eliphas Levi basically is the reason why you have the current image of the Baphomet as today. Now, I'm not here to... I'm not going to defend the Baphomet for the hundredth time in a row. Listen, there has been many, many images of the Baphomet. There's been two heads, three heads, man, woman, head, man, woman, head, animal head, animal heads. It just, it just happens. It just so happens his his design was the most popular. OK, and Bobby, him and his broken down the Baphomet. I've broken it down ad nauseum. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to get into the Baphomet. You believe it's evil then fine. That's you do you, but I'm getting into life as Levi. Okay. Alphonse Lewis constant was known uh, under the uh, name Eliphas Levi Zahad, which he claimed was his birth name translated into Hebrew. He was the man largely responsible for the mystical arts as they are known today. 
During the 19th century, Eliphas Levi distilled a number of belief systems from Christianity and Judaism to fringe beliefs such as tarot and the writings of historical alchemists into a strange hybrid that became known as occultism. A trained theologist who also became a priest, Levi was always more of a scholar than a practicing magician. Still, he was extremely charismatic and had vast knowledge of many areas of magic. He authored many books of ritual magic. Levi was particularly known for his work with Baphomet, the gargoyle-like entity allegedly worshipped by Knights Templars. He considered this a figure, a representation of the absolute. He drew the famous picture of Baphomet as a winged, goat-headed female figure, often the first picture anyone thinks of when the occult is mentioned. All right, number two, Raymond Buckland, the father of American Wicca, was deeply impressed by modern Gardenian Wicca. He took Gerald Gardner's teachings into the new world and eventually refined them into his own variation called So Wicca. A veteran of witchcraft, Buckland has been involved in coven since the 60s, usually as a leader. He is a Wiccan priest and a reverend expert in all things neo-pagan. Until his retirement from active witchcraft in 92, he spent decades as the most recognizable spokesman and the foremost expert of the craft. And these days, he lives in rural Ohio, where he writes books about magic and continues to practice a solitary version of the craft. Number one, Agnes Waterhouse, commonly known as Mother Waterhouse, was one of the most famous witches England has ever known. The crimes she was accused of were pretty heinous. Mother Waterhouse and two other witches stood trial for dallying with the devil, cursing people, and even causing bodily harm and multiple deaths through their black magic. Now, the strange thing about the case was that the church had nothing to do with accusing Agnes. She was the first English witch sentenced to death by a secular court. In her testimony, Agnes freely admitted to practicing the dark arts and devil worship. She owned a cat she called Satan, which she claimed to have sent to kill her enemies, livestock, and on occasion, the enemies themselves. She was unrepentant, stating that Satan had told her she would die by hanging or burning, and there was nothing, not a lot she could do about it. Mother Waterhouse was indeed sentenced to hang for her crimes, despite the fact that the two other witches facing similar charges were let off lightly. One was found not guilty, the other sentenced to a year in prison, although later charges led to her death. Her satanic bravado didn't last for long after sentencing. On her way to the gallows, Waterhouse made one last confession. She had once failed to kill a man because her, his strong belief in God had prevented Satan from touching him. She went to her death praying for God's forgiveness. Oh, the irony. The irony. All right. So that is the 10 uh, most popular witches in the world. Like I said, I'm not going to debate the, the list. There's, there's tons of tons of debatable lists. Um, <laughs> bear with me. All right. So let's get back into Tituba. Okay. Let's see. Tituba was one of three women who were the first to be blamed for the spread of witchcraft in Salem. After all, the slave girl spent most of her time around Betty Paris. She was accused of voodoo and of baking a witch cake to reveal the Paris girl's fatal fortune in egg yolks. Tituba had prayed with the Paris family, took meals with them, and served them their meals. The four girls also accused Sarah Good, a mentally ill woman who was a destitute, and Sarah Osborne, an old widow who had frequent disputes with the Paris family. On March 1st, 1692, Tituba and the other two women appeared before court. 
they were to answer the, to the charges of witchcraft, the two accused white women flatly denied their charges, but Tituba did not. The devil came to me and bid me serve him, she confessed. She had an uncanny and thorough rapport regarding her brush with the devil. Her account was so exhaustive in its oddity and horror that the citizens of Salem believed Tituba. She spun a sordid and detailed account about how a tall, white-haired man in a dark coat ordered her to hurt the children. If she did not, he threatened, then she would die. She then implicated his devious animal minions, a huge black dog, a hog, a black cat, a red cat, a yellow bird, and even an unknown hairy creature who walked on all two legs. She went so far as to include her fellow suspects. As soon as she did this, the people of Salem went, wanted to root out the evil in Salem. They wanted more names beyond these two women. Justice John Hawthorne therefore asked Tituba if she had seen the devil's book filled with the names of those who will to do his bidding. The devil, Tituba said, wouldn't let me see the book yet. No, he let me, no, he no let me see. But he tell me I should see them the next time. She claimed not to know who else was under the spell of witchcraft. However, there were some in Boston and some here in this town, but he would not tell me who they were. Tituba was choosy when she gave detail, but with reason. She took no issue with describing the devil, but was hesitant and vague to name other real suspects. In moments like this, Tituba feigned blindness. Her withholding made her an ever more valuable source of information to the terrified people of Salem. They needed her to point figures, fingers, give explanations, and save their town. Uh, okay. When the Salem witch hunt began, three women stood accused, the two white Sarahs and Titipa. By the fall of 1692, up to 185 witches and wizards had been named. Several of the accused suffered torture, drowning, crushing by stones and hanging in all Salem's authorities executed 19 people and imprisoned 150 but Titipa was only in prison Titipa's confession proved too valuable and I can't believe somebody's actually trying to call me right now what the fuck is wrong with these people I'm out here cooking right now sorry guys okay uh, modern scholars believe that that the fits and hallucinations the Paris girl suffered from were due to contaminated rye flour rather than witchcraft since doctors in the late 1600s had no clue about micro, micro, microbial contamination, they turned to a supernatural explanation for symptoms. As for Tituba, she got out of prison and left Salem with her husband, John. They were never heard from again. Okay. Even though the, the real Tituba disappeared, her legacy lives on in fictional accounts. In modern times, Tituba appears in the 2013 WGN series called Salem. And the descendants of Tituba show up in the popular series, American Horror Story Coven. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, okay. Historians believe Tituba confessed to witchcraft and implicated others as revenge against Samuel Parrish for being his slave. She protected her own interests by playing on the fears of the Puritans and their religious fervor. In doing so, Tituba was able to manipulate an entire village to set herself free. He interesting, interesting. Let me see what else I got. Uh, let me see the one. Okay. Bear with me. All right, here's another here's another list. I know I know you guys are pissed at the first list. Now, 
The here's this list is the most famous witches in history. Number one, Morgan Le Fay. Okay. Uh, steeped deep in the legends of Old Britain during the reign of the legendary King Arthur, Morgan Le Fay has garnered a reputation as a scheming and malevolent witch eager to rid the country of their leader and take over for herself. Training under the magical wizard Merlin, Morgan Le Fay's allegiance against Arthur often led to her de- left, led her to the side of the dreaded Mordred against the kingdom of Camelot. Morgan's story, however, does often leave her resolving her differences with Arthur after he is fatally wounded and leading him to the heavenly world of Avalon. Now, this character is a, is a comic book character of the same ilk, Morgan Le Fay, and she has all the, the magical powers. Um, she cavorts with the devil or Mephistopheles in the comics. Um, okay, number two. This is interesting. Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn is there's a castle that seemingly is haunted by this, this spirit of this woman. Remember she was beheaded. Okay. So let's get into it. Uh, arguably the most important and influential queen in history, Anne Boleyn's power and in control over King Louis, uh, King Henry, I'm sorry, King Henry the eighth would eventually lead to a constitutional social and religious crisis with consequences that would rock the country for hundreds of years afterwards. However, such power usually attracts enemies and Boleyn, Certainly possessed plenty of those. Facing accusations of high treason against the court, Boleyn's fate was sealed when accusations of witchcraft were brought against her. It was said that she had six fingers on her left hand and could be heard uttering spells set to doom the country. Whether these allegations of witchcraft have any foundation or not remains unfounded. Uh, but what cannot be disputed is the effect that, that, they have, that they have had on her legacy. Yeah, this this she was beheaded. And... You, they say you can see her spirit walking around with her head on the plate, um, still active to this day. Um, okay, so now number three, Aradia. The story of Aradia is constantly surrounded by intense heated discussions and has sparked revived interest in the world of paganism. This legendary woman supposedly lived in the 14th century and the debate over her life has continued to mold and shape the culture of not only Italian folklore, but has inspired some of the most distinctive works of fiction ever composed on the topic. Uh, Aradia, there's a book, it's called The Gospel of the Witches by Charles Leland. And this is basically based off the adventures and spells off this woman, Aradia, here. Number four, which you guys will like this one, uh, Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau. Um, Angela Bassett played this character in an American Horror Story coven, I believe. Uh, the word is that she is uh, that, that Beyonce is a, a, as a relative of this woman. All right. So Marie Laveau is arguably the most famous voodoo queen of all time and possesses one of the richest histories of any supposed witch on this list. Residing in New Orleans during the 1700s, Laveau quickly established a reputation that would lead hundreds of people from across the country to her front door, hoping to be cured of their ailments. Speculation and gossip were rife in her time, and she still conjures up plenty of conversation today. Her grave is one of the most visited sites in the entire country on Halloween. Interesting. Number five, Gerald Gardner. He keeps popping up. Um, I don't dispute his his. Uh, I don't dispute his his uh, contributions to it. Uh, we've talked about him extensively. Number six, Sybil Leak. 
renowned in the world of witchcraft as being a skilled witch and a brilliant psychic, Sybil Leek was known to the outside world as being Britain's most famous witch in the mid to late 20th century with a family that had a rich history partaking in some of the most infamous witch hunts during the 1500s and 1700s. There was plenty of talk surrounding Leek's link to the pagan world from the moment she began to indulge in a supposed eccentric life. Developing an increasingly global level of fame, Leek took to the United States where she would give extensive interviews and stories on her witchcraft, psychic abilities, and love for astrology. Now, the word on this one is apparently Sylvia Brown is uh, like a distant cousin. So if you know who Sylvia Brown is, um, you used to watch Montel, Sylvia would come on there and people would just ask her random questions and she would just rattle off the answers concerning their loved ones and all that good stuff. So the word is that this is like distant cousins. Uh, okay, number seven, Lori Cabot. We've done her. Number eight, Silver Raven Wolf. Mm, not much on her. One of the most extensive and covered authors in the pagan world of witchcraft and Wicca, Silver Raven Wolf is a writer who has arguably shed more light on the ins and outs of contemporary paganism than anyone else has. Uh, hmm, no. Mm-mm. Okay. Number nine, Agnes Sampson. Agnes Sampson was a renowned and famous healer in the region at the time and was the biggest prize of the 70 or so women hunted out by the inquest. Despite her probable innocence, the days of harsh torturing led to Sampson's confession and she was burned at the stake for her crimes. And that's it. Mm-hmm-hmm. Okay. So once again, call-in number is Six four six five four seven one three zero five. I think I have one more article. Like I said, it's not a lot of information on the Black Witches of Salem. It's really, really scarce. Um. Okay. Someone had asked me in the comments a couple of, uh, weeks ago, "How do you contact your 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 guardian angel?" Because uh, I did a did a video about yeah, which um. Zodiac sign connected to which angel? Okay, so now, once again, the book, The Sacred Magic of Abra, Abra Mellon, The Mage, uh, pops up again. So download that PDF, and in that book, it would give you a step-by-step on how to contact your, your holy guardian angel. But let's give you a real brief skim over this. Okay, let's see. Here you go. Okay. What does the book of Abramelin contain? The text is commonly separated into three books. The first primarily describes Abraham of Worms meeting with the Egyptian mage Abramelin and how he acquired his teachings. The second book, which was primary interest of hermetic scholars like Crowley, outlines the Abramelin operation, a ritual process that lasts for six to 18 months. Um, if you're asking how to spell it in the chat, Abramelin, A-B-R-A. M-E-L-I-N. All right. Uh, Let me see. Okay. According to text, when the ritual is undertaken properly, the process leads to communication with the holy guardian angel or spirit. The operation is traditionally believed to be derived from ancient oral traditions of Old Testament prophets and serves as a method for obtaining that sort of direct guidance from an infallible supernatural source. 
After contacting the spirit, the magician is instructed in binding or overcoming specific demons that represent hindrances between the practitioner and the, and the idealized creator. The third book, presumably for use after completion of the Abram Mellon operation, contains individual spells with sigils in the form word of squares. These spells are similar to those found in geo, uh, geo, geodic magic. They cover a diverse range of abilities from flight, resurrection, shape-shifting, to divination, and access to hidden knowledge. Now, the French version, which wasn't printed until the late 1800s, is missing entire sections of text, and some key elements of the rituals were altered. Now, the French manuscript was translated uh, one of the founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, S.L. McGregor Mathers. This incomplete translation is the most common English version in circulation today. Okay. S.L. McGregor Mathers was a notable enemy of Aleister Crowley, though they once shared a close friendship with Mathers functioning as Crowley's teacher for a time. During this period, the Abramelin magic would lay the foundation for all of Crowley's future exploration of the conjuring of supernatural beings within Thelema, Crowley's system of magic, the conjuration of a personal guiding spirit was an important step in initiation to higher levels. Later, Crowley would claim that he discovered numerous methods that achieve the same result as the complicated Abramelin process, but they all remain symbolically and theoretically consistent with the Abramelin operation. So basically, he took all the, uh, it's like Bruce Lee with, with, with uh, martial arts. He took all the wasted movements out. Okay. So all the wasted movements, he took it out. It just streamlined it. Okay, the actual author authorship of the book of Abraham Mellon is highly debated. Scholar Greg Dern believes the author may have been a rabbi, Yaakov Levi Molin, a 14th century German Talmudist, authority on Jewish law, composer and rebuilder of communities ravaged by war. Others believe that it was truly written by Abraham of Worms, while some even claim that the similarly mythical alchemist Nicholas Flamel was the true source. Overall. And the work is consistent with Kabbalistic and Go uh, Goetic ritual practices of the time. Many modern Kabbalah practitioners believe that the initiates of the Abramelin era use the ritual as a tool to transform the mind into something more closely resembling the mind of God. Like some tantric rituals from Tibetan Buddhism, the eventual visualization of the Holy Guardian spirit may be more of a deeply meditative, transformative thought exercise than a literal summoning ritual. Now, the step-by-step. Let me see, because that, that's all you guys care about. All right. One, two, three, three phases. All right. Here's the first three phases. Oh, my Lord. This is just a, a, a brief overversion. Okay. A brief overview. If I would suggest that you actually act, find the book or in the PDF and go through it yourself. I'm just giving you a basic overview. Okay. First phase. Ritual washing in the morning before sunrise, followed by a prayer for visitation from the holy guardian angel of your choosing uh, in a designated space with an open window and altar. Prayers are repeated after sunset. Maintain moderation in all activities from food and drink to business and social affairs. Change the sheets and perfume the bed chamber on the eve of every Sabbath. Maintain purity honesty and humility in all actions dress moderately and always be willing to give to others the second phase 
Continue morning and evening prayers, but ritually cleanse your hands and face with pure water before entering the altar space. Prayers should be prolonged and intensified. The whole body should be washed every Sabbath eve. All instructions of cleanliness and fairness from the first phase must re remain and ideally be strengthened in daily practice. A fast should be undertaken every Sabbath eve. A retreat from society should be made whenever possible for as long as possible during this phase. Third phase. <clears throat> Prayers and ritual cleansing continue in morning and night. With the addition of a noon prayer session, all business operations should be ceased except those of charity. Perfume should be kept under the altar. All free time should be dedicated to meditation or studying of sacred texts. All of society except members of the household should be shunned during this period. After the holy guardian angel is successfully invoked, individual spirits are conjured and bound. Okay. The text warns, however, that only those with good intention may successfully complete the operation. Okay. Overall, this practice which calls for right conduct, action, livelihood, study, rigorous periods of meditation, and social withdrawal has some similar similarities to esoteric Buddhist and Hindu, Hindu schools of thought. It also shares many common aspects with other mystical traditions in Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. So that is the, the, the basic Cliff Notes version of what I, what I just gave you guys. I would implore you guys to go, like I said, Abraham Ellen, the mage, sacred book, PDF, and you should be able to find it online with no problem. So on that note, I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to wrap this thing up uh, in two and two. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I can. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Got seven fifty five, seven fifty five. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And I know exactly what I'm going to talk about, too. It's perfect. 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 Uh, um, the 10, the 10 unusual male witch trials from Europe. So we're going to talk about male witches specifically. Yeah. So that should, that should take me out. Yeah, that should take me out. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yes. Yeah. Surprisingly, right? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. 
there. Mm. Right. Yeah. 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 Nobody's. Yeah, nobody's worried about that. They're yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I right. That's the, the, the irony of it. Exactly. 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 Yeah, I, I got a, I got, I got family down there, and they're like, dude, it's like, I'm like, man, it's, what are you, what are you gonna do? Like, what are you gonna do? Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy. Crazy time we live in. Yeah, there's still a few years away from that. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, this should go by pretty quick. Yes. Okay. All right, all right. You are back once again. Uh, the Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot Seventy Five. Uh, I am he, and he is I. Uh, you can shout out to uh, Ron the Boards, producer uh, Cindy Ashby. She wait a minute, hold on. Before, I mean, let me do it. Listen to what Cindy said in the chat, y'all. She said, she said, what did she say? Kelly sound like an alley cat. She said Michelle sound like an alley cat getting fucked in the ass. I saw Destiny Child live, and she sounded horrific. This is my producer saying this, y'all. What the fuck kind of? Lord have mercy. Anywho, visit us on www.onthewakeradio.com. We are on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and on iHeartRadio for replays. Uh, the call-in number is always 646-547-1305. Uh, you can find me uh, on YouTube under SuperSlot75 with Heavily Flawed Individual. Our merchandise is always available at teespring.com forward slash SuperSlot75. Uh, please feel free to donate any amount, which goes to the website and airtime. It's always a labor of love, but we still live in a costly, uh, costly world. If you appreciate the free content and message, uh, oh, please help us keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like an advertisement slot, please hit us up at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Uh, so let me good shout out to everybody in the chat, all these maniacs uh, in the chat. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you're listening. If you're listening on the on the Wake Up Radio um, site, the, the 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 YouTube chat, it's just maniacs, maniacs. So, yo, let me wrap this up. I'm gonna wrap this up with some male witches. I don't think male witches get enough love. 
So we're going to talk about the 10 unusual male witches, male witch trials from Europe. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Okay. Now, men were occasionally accused and executed for witchcraft as well. Sometimes they were linked with a female witch. Other times they were accused independently. Uh, in a few areas of Europe, such as Estonia and Normandy, men actually made up the majority of the accused. Number 10, John Fian. In late 1589, the Scottish king James VI traveled to Scandinavia to marry Princess Anne of Denmark. While sailing home, James and his new queen were stalled by terrible storms. Instead of bad luck, the Danish authorities blamed the weather on witchcraft, duly arresting and executing six supposed witches. Back in Scotland, some of James's subjects were accused of a conspiracy to magically sink the king's ship. John Fien, a school teacher, was allegedly one of the plot's ringmasters. According to the many wild legends surrounding him, Fien could fly and unlock doors by pulling on the locks. In one bizarre story, Fien asked a local boy to steal pubic hair from his sister. The hair was an ingredient for a love charm, but Fien was tricked and given cow hair, making a cow fall in love with him instead. After being taken into custody for treason and witchcraft, Fien was tortured and interrogated. He confessed that the charges were true, escaped from jail, and then ended up being tortured again. This time, Fien recanted his confession and refused to budge, even after having his nails pulled out and his legs crushed. Wow. Despite Fien's resilience, his interrogators and King James VI weren't convinced. Fien was strangled and burned at the stake in Edinburgh in January 1591. Holy shit. Uh, number nine, Thomas Weir. Thomas Weir was probably the last person anybody would suspect of being a witch. He was an elderly veteran of the English Civil War, a stern religious man who was greatly respected in Edinburgh. In 1670, however, Weir suddenly suffered a kind of breakdown. He'd been harboring a lifetime of guilt and wasn't nearly as saintly as everybody believed. From the time his sister Jane was 16 until she was 50, Weir had repeatedly slept with her. He'd also had sex with his stepdaughter his maid, and some mares and cows. After the secret was leaked, Weir and his sister were arrested for incest. Jane not only confirmed her brother's claims, but told the authorities that she and her brother were both witches. Weir freely admitted to being a witch. He claimed that he slept with the devil and that his walking stick was actually a wand. In the end, Jane was repentant about what she'd done. On the other hand, Weir refused to apologize both brother and sister were sentenced to death, although curiously, only Jane was convicted of witchcraft. Yikes. Um, number eight, John Walsh. Not, not America's most wanted John Walsh. Not to be confused. Um, okay. In England and Wales, for example, the white witch used is magic for good since the label witch was a negative tone. These benevolent magicians went by other names like cunning man, wise woman, or conjurer. Uh, conjurer. Uh, Ludacris had a, an alcohol called uh, Conjure, if you guys remember. And you know, wine is spirits, alcohol spirits. So put that together. Okay. Uh, though they may might have been popular with the ordinary people, these folk healers and seers weren't always safe from the law. In August 1566, an English white witch named John Walsh was arrested in question in Essex about his powers. Walsh claimed that he was in contact with fairies and that he could tell when a person was bewitched. He also had a familiar, a supernatural creature said to help witches with their magic. 
Walsh is familiar would come to him in the shape of a dog, bird, or cloven-footed man. It could identify thieves and tell Walsh where the guilty had hidden what they stole. Walsh swore that he never hurt anybody with his magic, but what ultimately happened to him is unknown. Witches were hanged rather than burned in England. Convictions were rare, so there's a chance that Walsh was acquitted and let go. Number seven, Thomas Luton. In September 1659, a merchant named Thomas Luton was plagued with gossip that he killed a neighbor, a neighbor boy. Luton had been given, given the boy a plum. When the boy died a few, late, a few days later, some neighbors believed the plum was bewitched. To clear his name, Luton asked the town bailiff to arrest him and give him a trial. Luton was apparently confident that the judges would take his side, saying he did need a lawyer or counter evidence to prove his innocence. As it happened, things turned out to be the exact opposite. His neighbors testified against him, and a torturer claimed that there was a devil's mark on Luton's body. After being strangled with a garret, Luton told his interrogators that he attended Sabbaths and earned his wealth from money that the devil gave him. A witchcraft confession was exactly what the authorities wanted. A day after his confession, Luton died in jail from his wounds. His corpse was burned and then publicly displayed. To cover the rest of his court costs, Luton's property was also seized and sold off. Wow. Number six, Kiwi Barson. The Sami, the indigenous people of Scandinavia, had a rich tradition of shamanism. Since ancient times, Norwegians had consulted Sami shamans who maintained that they could tell the future and travel out of their bodies. These shamans used a special drum for their rituals, which put them in a trance and allowed their souls to roam around. In 1625, the shaman Kiwi Barson was paid by a Norwegian named Niels Johnson to summon wind for a voyage to the village of Hasvag. A while later, the wife of a man who left with Johnson paid the shaman again, asking for a good wind that would bring her husband's ship home. This time, the spell went awry, and Barson was afraid the wind was too strong. Coincidentally, Johnson and his crew drowned during a storm on their way back. Two years later, in May 1627, Barson was brought to trial by a court in Hasvag. He admitted to creating the wind for Johnson's ship and explained how a Sammy drum worked. The Christian court took Barson's word as proof of witchcraft, ruling him responsible for the drownings and sending him off to be burned at the stake. Number five, Andrew Mand. Uh, let's see. Okay, in Scotland, several witch trials mentioned a figure known as the Queen of Elfing, Elfamy, a fairy queen who had an angel husband named Christ on Day. Andrew Mann, an elderly man who went to trial in 1597, said that he had sexual relationships with the fairy queen, man had first met the queen 60 years earlier when he was a little boy. She later gave him the power to heal any animal or human. Man had other magical powers as well, such as being able to steal cow's milk and tell the future. Christ and Day acted as his familiar, and man could summon the angel by uttering, uttering the word benedicit. Man called Christ on Day his lord and king, and he also said that he kissed Christ. <laughs> He kissed Christ in day's bottom to the authorities. The, the bizarre story reeked of the devil and man was burned for witchcraft. Number four, Johann Junius between 1624 and 1631, nearly 300 people were burned for witchcraft in the German city of Bamberg. The city was gripped with paranoia and even government officials were suspected of being witches in 1628. The mayor, Johannes Junius, was questioned after he allegedly seen at some Sabbath. 
as with other many witch trials, Junius swore he was innocent until he finally broke down after being tortured. Okay, common theme is the average person is going to break down during the torture. Okay, but let's just move on, shall we? According to his confession, Junius met a demon woman who turned into a goat and threatened to break his neck unless Junius gave himself up to her. The woman disappeared and came back with more demons, and Junius was forced to renounce God and worship Satan. Junius took the new name of Crix, and the demon woman who converted him became his lover. The demon, the demon encouraged Junius to kill his children, but he refused, leading her to beat him on one occasion. A few weeks before his death at the stake, Junius sent his daughter a secret letter from prison. He said that his words were sheer lies and made up things to keep himself from being tortured. He also mentioned his accusers who admitted to lying and apologized to Junius before their own executions. Number three, William Godfrey, 1609. The farmer William Godfrey rented out a, a house to John and Susan Barber in New Romney, England. While living there, the Barbers would hear inexplicable dripping and knocking sounds on the ceiling, making them afraid that the house was haunted. After having a baby, Susan swore that three familiars sent by Godfrey tried to steal her child. The Barbers ended up leaving the house. The Holtons, the next couple to take house, experienced ghostly phenomena too. It wasn't only Godfrey's house that weirded out his neighbors. The Barbers had terrible luck after moving to a new house and suspected that Godfrey was the cause. Strangely, the Holton's son, who suddenly fell sick in 1614, died an hour after Godfrey paid a visit to the house one day. After years of reputedly bewitching people and animals, Godfrey's neighbors finally took him to court in April 1617. William Clark, a man who thought Godfrey had bewitched his ducks, was the first to testify. The trial lasted months. During the wait, Clark and Godfrey got into a brawl after Godfrey joked about bewitching Clark's mare. Other neighbors were brought in as witnesses, but the court ultimately quitted Godfrey in February 1618. The only person charged with anything turned out to be Clark, who was fined for assaulting Godfrey. Number two, Conrad Stokeland. Conrad Stokeland was a healer and a horse wrangler who lived in the German town of Ober Oberstorf in 1579. Stokeland met a guardian angel who took him on a nocturnal journey to a strange and distant place. Stockland and his angel would go on these trips several times a year, accompanied by other travelers known as the Night Phantoms. The Night Phantoms helped St turn Stockland into a powerful healer, and he also learned how to identify witches. Based on his information from his Night Phantoms, Stockland accused a woman named Anna Eisenbergen of being a witch in 1586. Eisenbergen was arrested, but Stockland was also taken into custody. His stories about the night phantoms rused the authority's suspicion, and soon Stockland was being investigated as a witch too. During his trial, Stockland's night phantoms were interpreted as witches. His guardian angel was seen as a demon, and the strange and distant place was theorized to be a Sabbath. Furthermore, Eisenbergen and another woman accused by Stockland confirmed that his mother was a witch. After the usual bout of torture, Stockland confessed that everything was true. Ironically, the man who cried witch was sentenced to burn at the stake in January 1587. Good Lord. Number one, Louis uh, Gaufridi. In 1609, the French priest Father Romion became convinced that two nuns, Madeline and Louise, were possessed by demons. The women, the women would go into horrible convulsions and cried and screamed when Romeo attempted to exorcise them. 
Madeline told Romeo that a priest named Louis Goffredi had raped her when she was nine years old and that the same man had used spells to fill her body with demons. Months passed without the nuns getting any better and they made more accusations against Goffredi when another priest exercised them. In 1611, Goffredi was arrested and interrogated. He admitted that he was a witch explaining that he had found a magical book in his uncle's possession years earlier. As he read the book, Goffredi inadvertently summoned a demon. The demon made a deal with Goffredi. In exchange for his body and soul, the demon would advance Goffredi's career and make any woman he wanted to fall in love with him. Madeline was questioned as well, and both she and Goffredi said they attended Sabbaths together. In April the same year, Goffredi was strangled and burned at the stake. Unsurprisingly, Madeline was eventually accused of witchcraft herself. She was sentenced to life imprisonment, but was let out early after serving 10 years. All right. The life of a witch in the 15 to 1600s was no joke. <laughs> you had to be really committed to be a witch back then. <laughs> um, I'm just going through the, through the chats and, and on the, on the, I'm going through the comments with the chats. And um, <laughs> you guys here, uh, let me see. What else do I want to talk on briefly? In the end? Um, I guess there's a picture of Bernie Sanders with some black chef holding a chicken leg. I, I, I don't understand why our people keep falling for the political. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Call was bragging. What's going on? What's happening, home slice? Man, talk to me, bro. Man, what's up, man? I'm just chilling, man. Um, what I was gonna say. Um, all jokes aside, your man Dorian Gray is he? Should he be on this list, or would he, would he be considered a, a man witch, or is that like a whole different realm of thing? I wouldn't consider him a witch, right? Um, damn. I would even I you know what I'm gonna write that down. I'll do an, I'll do a, a video about him. I would not consider him a witch. I would. I'm not, I'm not sure what the, what the term I would I would use because you know he the, the whole mirror thing, youthful thing, almost like almost vampiric to a certain extent. But I wouldn't I wouldn't call him a witch. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now let me see the witch number nine, the one that's out there banging his sister and horses and cattle and shit like that. <laughs> Well, that's that too, and 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 be honest with you, you know, a lot of these these bloodlines they believe in the sex with children. To them, it's a pure thing, right? Because you know how the Greeks and Romans believed there was no higher love between than a man and a man and a young boy. So to them, this is the this is the problem. If you have people that fundamentally believe that this is a good thing, you're not going to change that. You know, just like just like you fundam- you're fundamentally opposed to that. No, 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 no one can tell you otherwise that that it's that is that it's right. So how do you how do you deal with that? You know, and if you believe if they believe that this gives them powers and helps them be clairvoyant and, and, and do all types of, you know, superhuman shit, then, you know, you're not going to tell you're not going to convince these people otherwise, man. You know. Uh, this whole, this whole North Philly uh, shooting. Yeah. So my, my man, my man was telling me they brought AI in, 
trying to talk the dude off the ledge or something like that. I don't know if that's true or not. God, I hope not. I guess I, and this is what he was telling me, so I don't know. Because I, I told him, my reply to him was, if they brought AI in, I said, man, they can't put a better stage play together than that. No, you know what's funny? The whole Jay-Z with the NFL. So how everybody was all about, yo, I, I, I wanted, I wanted everybody that bashed Big Boy and Travis Scott for performing. It's okay now. Jay Z is about to do it now. It's okay when Jay, just hypocrisy, niggas, man, niggas, niggas. I know. Niggas and flies. Niggas and flies. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing that a whole lot. Niggas and flies. <laughs> My man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir, bro. And on that note, we're going to end this this lovely show, this lovely, lovely gathering. In the words of Pops from uh, the regular show, good show, everybody, good show. So, and with that one, I'm signing off. Until next time, y'all have a good night. Peace. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, gotcha, yeah. We'll have to catch we'll have to catch him next time. <laughs> cool, cool. Okay, bro. <laughs> Till next week. Peace. <laughs> Yo, all you maniacs. Oh, so um I see native native ladies in the house. So all that keep everyone that's always asking me, yo, who's the husky voice lady that you keep talking about? She that be her. That that be the high that be my high priestess. So if you got questions about whatever the fuck weird stuff, you know, non human stuff, spells and stuff, she's your gal. She she be the husky voice one. So this is your time in the chat. If you see her, get at her now. Um, that way, you know, you have to reconnect to her. You ain't got to go through me to get to her. But if you if you miss this stream or whatever the case may be, you want to get at her, then get through, you know, get at me and I'll get you to her. But on the, at the end of the day, um, this is your chance in the chat. Get at her. Yo, Native, put your email in the um in the in the chat so they can so they can, you know, take it down, whatever the case may be. So, um, other than that, uh, I thank everybody for joining. Everybody that super chatted, uh, I thank you guys. Truth teller, my man, my man up, my man looking real saucy right now, all in the videos and shit. You, <laughs> you know how you know how we get when we get these we get these blue yeti mics. You can't tell us shit. We get blue yeti mics. We get Logic Tech <laughs> webcams. You can't tell us nothing. <laughs> she said, "Why well, I got to have a husky voice slide?" Because you do. It is what I mean. Embrace it. It's it's a special part of you. It what makes you special. Embrace the huskiness. So, uh, I, I guess on that note, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna go to the gym because I I didn't go to the gym yesterday. I feel like a fat ass. And um, um yeah. I think I thank you guys for hanging out. We'll do this again real soon. So, oh, there's an a slide being serious and devastated. Yeah, y'all are cutting up in the chat. I have to, I'll have to go back and watch this again for all the hilarity because y'all, I can't take y'all no damn where. 
I can't I can't take y'all no damn way. So Iron Five, I see you, bro. Yo, studio Ryan, um, originally me, Edward. Happy birthday once again. Uh, if I didn't get you, I'm sorry. Shogun, Johnny, be good. Johnny, be good. Pascal Beverly Randolph is is the inspiration for um, Doctor Strange. It's a brother. That he is the inspiration for for Doctor Strange. It is Pascal Beverly Randolph, and you can find a lot of his works um, online PDF. He is he is the granddaddy of occultism. Like, don't let with this shit I just read you on these lists fool you. When you get next to these people and they're in their back rooms and their altars and shit, trust me, they they're giving all praises due to fucking Pascal Beverly Randolph. Crowley was no different. So, uh, Genesis, hey. Um, so yeah. With that being said, let me get out of here. Y'all have a good night. Peace.